So you've been featured on Good Morning America, the New York Post, um, all types, you know, whether it was at the Grammys or hanging out at the Kremlin or with Trump. But here you are today on the Boss to Boss podcast. How, how does it feel? Feels great. <laughs> Feels great to be here and uh, it's really nice to see you. Yeah. Is there is there as much as much nervousness here today or not so much? <laughs> you think you got it out of the way? I think that uh, no matter what I do, uh, there's always a little nervousness to be the best you can be. But uh, certainly before I uh, snuck into certain places, uh, the adrenaline was going at a uh, thousand miles an hour that, uh, you know, it was just full speed ahead. Well, I guess, the one, uh, you know, for... So everybody knows you did not have to sneak in to be on this show today. No, I, I almost had to. I, I couldn't get through the doorman. But yeah, you actually uh, you slipped them. How, how, what was? Your, how did you work your magic leaving your car outside in front of the Trump Tower uh, in, in New York? And you know, it's uh, money talk sometimes. So I, I told the doorman I give him a couple of bucks for letting me park right in front. So so your car is right in front right now. Correct. Where they're like ready to tell anybody and everybody, and you got a car right in front of them. That's the driveway of the building, so it's, right. it's okay. Well, Craig Schmell, everybody, uh, be sure to check out his book, The Uninvited How I Crashed My Way into Finding Myself, as well as his website, I am theuninvited.com, to find out more about his story. But today we are uh, just digging deep into uh, all that's happened to you in the past. Uh, past so and so years. I mean, were were you ever scared? You know, everything you got yourself into. No, never. That's never the one scared. Thing. I was scared at failing, probably more than once I succeeded and I was in certain places. And and you did fail. Uh, very rarely. One time, actually. What is the one time? The one time I failed was, and I didn't really fail. I got a little, uh, we got so good at uh, uh, getting into places because we realized it wasn't who you are, but who they think you are. Mm -hmm. And if you had a laminated past that made you look like you belonged, you belonged. And uh, what we did is eventually I started to make copies of passes and brought 15 of my friends to the Tommy, the Who concert at Radio City, mm -hmm. who were coming back to do the Tommy album live and uh we brought too many guys and they realized that the passes were all uh fake mm -hmm. and they started to kick guys out did you get kicked out too i didn't but i left because i didn't want to be there without my friends mm. so wow so that and was the one time we pushed it to the limits a little too far was that towards the end of it all was that uh, kind of towards it, the end yes so when things kind of already were winding down a little bit yeah Okay. Somewhere uh, in there, still had a good, another year plus of of parties and clubs and concerts to get into, but uh, we started to push our limits a little bit. Yeah. And we're we're actually in New York right now, so this is kind of where a lot of it happened, right? I was living right down the block on Thirty mm -hmm. Street and uh, between First and Second. Mm -hmm. We're on. Uh, 47th or 48th yeah, around here between first and second so i was literally not even that blocks far. away uh, we're on the 33rd floor i was on the 39th floor of my apartment oh so you love this kind of view i had this very <laughs> similar view and that's uh that's the night the grammy story even yes. evolved and we were playing golf uh, on the terrace Bong golf on this. We used to putt on the, the terrace. Bong golf. And, Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about bong golf? Bong <laughs> golf. When I first heard about it, I was like, is it what I think it is? It's or like, is it not? It's like the game horse in okay. uh, basketball, where if you make a shot, your friend has to make the same shot. And if he misses, he gets an H. And first person to spell horse loses. Uh, but we used to, I had a terrace on my uh, uh, mm -hmm. apartment. And it had the green outdoor carpeting and we had a little drain in the corner and we unscrewed the drain and we used to putt mm. into the drain. And uh, if you made a putt, I'd have to make it. And if I missed it, I would have to do a hit of a bond hit. And uh, that, that was, that yeah, was, those are, that, that's, that's like upper end right there. Like uh, that's, that's upper end. We were like, living large. Yeah. That's, that's fun. And, and is the Grammys kind of where it all kicked off? 
Uh, no, it, it started many years before that. There it was smaller actually, instances. It started with sneaking into nightclubs in New York City. Okay. Studio 54, the tunnel, limelight. Mm-hmm. These clubs were very hard to get into, especially if you were a male. They would let all the pretty girls in, but they wouldn't let guys in, especially mm-hmm. more than one or two. And uh, I kind of figured out ways to get into clubs and and restaurants in New York City. And one of the great ways was to call and get the name of somebody. Because if okay. you had a name of somebody, it gave you credibility. So I would call a club or a restaurant and say, hi, how are you tonight? Who's the manager on duty? And most of the time they would tell me it's Bob Smith. And yeah. if not, I would you know, go a little further and say, I was there the other night. I left my jacket. Maybe you could help me. Mm-hmm. The manager told me, you know, I spoke to a manager. Oh, maybe you spoke to this person. And then once I had a name, I would hang up and kind of give it an hour. Then I would call back asking for Bob Smith. And then what would you tell the Bob I would Smith? tell Bob Smith that I was at the club last week. I met him. He was very nice. Mm-hmm. And I knew for most men, they meet so many people. It yeah. would be hard for them to say, I don't remember you because they meet so many people. So most would just say, oh, yeah, I remember. And I would just say, listen, you mentioned that if I'm in town to come back and, you know, you gave me a card and um, I'm in town. If I can come by, maybe yeah. you can put me on the list. And most did. And if they didn't, at least I had a name now when I went to the door and I would say to the doorman and Bob Smith knows us and he told us to come back. So once I would get in, then I would find Bob Smith and make sure he would remember me for the next time. So it's all about who you are. And you would kind of play it off like he met you before. Totally. And you're like, come on, you don't remember me for the next time. Exactly. Would they ever think they're like losing it? One guy said, I don't remember you and called me out on it. In all the years. Wow. Do you and think- I would do that at restaurants mm-hmm. and uh, and just once you get in, then you, you're in. And then you can go from there. Meet other people, bartenders, mm-hmm. other managers, general managers. So I went to Peter Luger's last night. You know, thank you, Craig. I really appreciate it. Very well. You know, due to you. And was that by any chance through one of those hookups? <laughs> Indirectly, yes. That's how it happened? Uh, when I started to work on Wall Street. Peter Lugas was and still is the premier steakhouse yes. maybe in the country. And I had met a gentleman when I first went because mm-hmm. I loved it there. And I knew all the Wall Street people. We would actually deliver. Saw quite a few last They night. would bring in lunch from Peter Lugas. They'd send out young kids to get our hamburgers <laughs> for lunch once we started to do well. And uh, I met the gentleman uh, originally. Um, his name was Tom. And he's been the maitre d' there for 25 years he's been there, uh, maybe even longer. And we became friendly, just mm-hmm. that. And I've given him gifts for holidays, and we've just maintained a relationship. It's grown, and, and it's now it's a true friendship. It's interesting you bring that up. You said you get him gifts. Do you think, does that have something to do with nurturing the relationship? And is Absolutely. that what you do with everybody? With Absolutely. People? Absolutely. Okay. Um, What's your like go-to? Would you just take them out? Do you no, it would be something? little. I think little acts of kindness everybody appreciates in life, yeah. and it, it's not even what the gift is. It's just the act of kindness that I think goes a long way, and I think it's even testament to my car being parked downstairs. So even if it's like a small ten dollar gift card, just as a thank you, right. does that mean more than that? I think at all. I believe so, and, and people love kindness. And, and do you think we still are kind? Because now with what's no. happening with this world and, you know, just shootings constantly. I'm in Chicago and it's yeah. like, you know, you can walk out every day and you got to watch out. I think there's a tremendous amount of anger, resentment, fear in this world. And uh, it's rampant in society and it's, 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 it's getting worse and worse. Why do you think that is, though? I just think that uh, human beings the stresses of their lives, the pressures of the world. Um, And I believe most people, as they're raised and nurtured, are being taught the wrong things and that the wrong things are important to human beings these days. I think we're taught to get ahead and make Mm -hmm. a lot of money and to get ahead and make a money is completely adverse to kindness and love. 
to, to get ahead, you have to sometimes be backstabbing. You have to be manipulative, or at least people think they do. And I think just it starts from a young age. And, you know, we're taught to win in sports. We're taught to be better. And it just gets, it gets worse and worse. And is it something that it's the system you think that's in place? Like, say, the country we live in or kind of a I, worldwide thing? I think it's worse in the United States, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think it's society as a whole. So do you recommend going to school? College? Yeah, college specifically, because that's the big debate right now, right? Yeah. Uh, Listen, uh, I have two daughters in college, and Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of money. Um, Instead of them going and spending four years at college and me spending close to $300,000 for each kid, would they be better off going to work after high school and taking that money and investing it so four years later, they now yeah. have four years of experience and maybe a half a million dollars to start a business. Yes. I'm not sure which is the... Why did I'm, you make that decision then? Because maybe in some ways society makes us make that decision. Maybe that's just the way it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. And most people follow... Want to get that college experience, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, they told us that having a college degree is, is crucial better. It's life, crucial. Right? Well, I'm not sure it is sometimes. Do you think you having a college degree and you know um, going to law school changed your outcome at all? Like, obviously, the things along the way that happened, but... Sometimes, but not really, because uh, I got after... I changed my life at 28 years old, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, I went to work for a Wall Street firm. I left law and I went to work mm-hmm. on Wall Street. You didn't really need a college degree to you, work. That you had to pass you this, someone, right? And you had to pass what's called a Series 7 exam. For, for stock to for be trading. A, yeah, to be a trader and a stockbroker. Which at the end of the day, anybody could technically pass that, right? Correct. Correct. Uh, some, a lot of firms wanted you to have a college degree, but I don't believe, because uh, I know there were some guys that I worked with that didn't have college degrees. So That's interesting, that, right? There are guys that made a lot of money uh, without college degrees. Yeah, because aren't there aren't a lot of Wall Street people without degrees, some, right? Some, yeah. Do some up. Now, today, it's hard to be a certain, uh, you can't be a banker. Or you can't be a, a financial analyst without, you know, years of, of college. And most firms now want, you know, degrees, uh, uh, graduate degrees as well. So. so I know we're kind of tailoring off here. You know, we started out with people being kind and, um, you know, more violence on this earth and kind of where society is pushing us. Do you think there is a fix? Like, is there a right way of doing things? Are we going towards it at all? Is there, do, we have, do we have any hope for the future in our, in our children? Um, I believe there's tremendous hope, but, um, I believe that, uh, a lot of things have to change and I think it probably is going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, I, I see a world where most people react with emotion, don't respond with intellect. I see a world where everybody has to be right mm-hmm. and very mm-hmm. few people care Quickly. about being happy. And today I'd rather be happy than right. And I think that falls, that place to ego. Our egos tell us we have to be right. But uh, true happiness is found when, when, you're, when you're just at peace with the world. I, I don't have to be right anymore. It's, it's nice to just be happy. True happiness doesn't pay though, right? That's what they Sometimes say. Sometimes it depends. It depends. Because uh, we're we are definitely pushed into these money making industries well, and the outlooks. There lies the the quagmire, and, and it's it's hard. It's hard for people because it's confusing. They mm-hmm. want to be happy, but it's hard to be happy when you're driven to to achieve. And I was driven for many years, and um, and I was searching for that happiness. And now years later. Um, after some things have happened to me today, I'm never been more at peace. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the financial gratitude is not there as much anymore. And maybe that's because I've achieved certain things maybe, but even today, um, I'm, I'm, 
I'm just happier. So before, less. so before um, we get into what, what, how did you find yourself, you know, and specifically, um, you want to kind of dive into a couple, couple of the stories, sure. uh, a couple of the ones that got you pretty much, you know, trending. <laughs> if Twitter was popular at the time, you definitely would have been trending on, yes. on Twitter, but instead you were, you know, trending on phone calls and TV, right? Um, do you want to share a couple, like which, which one was the one that when you pulled it off? Well, I think the, the greatest day of my life and maybe the worst day of my life was singing on stage with Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston at the Grammy Awards. Why worst? Uh, because it confirmed for me that I can get away with anything. And you were just an average man, just an average person, right? I was a kid from... And you're there. And I was on stage at Radio City, center stage with a mic in my face, singing for the world with Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston behind me. And, and, and you probably didn't sing ever before that, really, right? Besides well, the it, they were doing the, um, it was the finale of mm-hmm. the uh, 30th at Grammy Awards. They had brought it back to New York and they were doing a, um, a, a tribute to Dion. And uh, they were singing Runaround Sue. And, uh, and there I was. All the stars, we had snuck in. And uh, I could tell you the story of how that happened, but we got in. We, I found the person who had the VIP passes, went on. And I wanna, you want to explain that part? Like, how did you, how did I you do it? I was playing bong golf the night before on my uh, green carpet and the TV uh, was on. And there was Happy Phillips, one of the announcers on Channel 7, who um, uh, was saying that the Grammys are coming back to New York for the star-studded event. The 30th annual mm-hmm. Grammys was coming back from L.A. and... Uh, I had just done a bong hit and I said, you know what, my buddies, I said, I'm going to go over to Radio City and I'm going to see what's going on. And I figured that the night before, and I knew this from previous events, that the night before any of event, the security is very lax. It's very laid back. Who's sneaking in the night before? And one of the ways I would get into clubs and into bars and nightclubs and restaurants, if there was a doorman, I had a inhaler as a child. I had a uh, yellow. It, did you actually use it? I had asthma oh, as a child. Okay. So I went down to the Grammys and there was a big guard at the front door and he said, can I help you? And I said, I'm just coming back. I'm working. I had to go out to my car to get my inhaler and I showed him the inhaler and having that prop gave you credibility and it was real mm-hmm. and it, who would be sneaking in. So I snuck in and I was looking for anything to give me credibility than for the next night. How old were you at that point? I was 1988, so I was 27. Okay. And um, the first thing I found on the floor was a business card that said Michael Huddle Hairdressers. I put it in my pocket, and uh, then there I found a broken dog chain, you know, one of those chains that mm-hmm. the Army uses to hang. Uh, I found a broken, yeah. I guess, which passes were hanging off of. I... Uh, put that in my pocket. I then found where all the dressing rooms were up upstairs, and I went into uh, Whitney Houston's dressing room, and there was a bouquet of flowers. And I took uh, the card that was to her that said Whitney Houston, and I put that in my pocket. And so I'm just, just picking up little things I'm along the way. Finding anything <laughs> to give me credibility to get in. Like, hey, I got all this stuff. Clearly, and, supposed to be and, here. And and. And, and uh, at the time, uh, uh, okay. Michael Jackson was practicing on stage. So you were like right there? I'm walking around all over. And um, so the, um, then I heard a business, uh, one of the managers say to somebody else, I'll meet you in the production room. Mm-hmm. And now I found out there was this production room. It happened to be below the stage. And I found where it was. And I walked into this big room that was probably about 40 feet across and about 30 feet. Well, it was a pretty big room, maybe 50 feet. And there were little tables set up with signs on each table. And one sign said airplane, you know, airports. One said uh, after party. One said restaurants. One said limousines. Mm-hmm. So it was where they kind of produced the show from all the stars. And there in the corner was a table that said VIP passes. And I kind of knew that was my, my, that's where I want to get to. 
And it just kind of hit me. I went up to the woman who was sitting behind the desk and I mm-hmm. said, I'm, hi, how are you today? And that was always my introduction, being no matter nice. where I was, being nice and kind and saying, hi, how are you today? And getting them to respond. It goes a long way, huh? Yeah, even when you call a restaurant to get a reservation, first thing, uh, call the airline to make a, hi, how are you today? Because that you know by a response what kind of person you're getting on the other side. Exactly. Right? When they say, hi, how are you today? Nice to thank you. How are you? Then you know you have somebody who's warm and yes. friendly and you could adjust your mannerisms to them. But a, a lot of times you get somebody that says, hi. Fine. Yeah, right. fine. You that's know, it. that's going to be a little more difficult. And, it's, and I said to this girl behind the desk, hi, how are you today? And she said, hi. And I said, listen, I'm so sorry to bother you. And I took out the business card I found on the floor and I showed and said, Michael Huddle hairdressers. And I said, and I said, listen, I'm working with Michael Huddle. And I put the broken dog chain around my neck. And I said, I'm working downstairs and I'm and they're giving me a hard time. I must have lost my pass. It fell off. If there's any way you can maybe just give me another pass. And I promise you, if I find the pass I lost, I'll bring this one back. And then she asked me what Never her happened. name was. And I thought, do I tell her a fake name or a real name? If I tell her a real name, she has my name. And But uh, I, show, I said my real name and I showed uh, my license. So that gave me further <coughs> credibility and... Uh, Sure enough, she gave me a pass. And She's like, why would you be going all this way, right? Yeah, and she didn't really. She just said, listen, I really shouldn't be doing this, but you seem like a nice guy and you seem honest. Here is the, the pass. And she gave me a f- all-access VIP pass. Um, I got the pass, and I slowly just got the heck out of uh, Dodge. I got out the, to the s- uh, street on mm-hmm. 50th uh, outside of Radio City, went back to my apartment. My boys were waiting, and they were like, so how'd you do and I said, we are in. And I showed them the pass. And the show is on. And the next day, we, we made photocopies of the pass. We put on our tuxedo. And that worked, huh? And we walked in like we were. Oh, yeah. There were no scanning systems. Right? None. They just looked. None. It was just a pass hanging around your neck. Blue laminated pass that said all access VIP. Do you think the times back then made it easier? Like now compared to nowadays? I've been asked that a lot. You know, do you think you can get into places today? Yeah. Like, can, can we go somewhere after this and make it happen? I think I can. <laughs> yeah? I think I got can. Away? I think I can. What uh, is it? So what does it come down to? It's about the person? I think it's ingenuity and uh, you have to have certain, you know, gifts. Um, the charm. But if I had to get into a place today, it would be much harder. Mm-hmm. But I think I can do it. I, I've... I've I haven't done anything quite like that since September 11th when a lot of things changed. A lot more but, security uh, yeah, everywhere. Yeah, but I think I can do it. I, I've snuck into the World Series at Yankee Stadium. I did that because I was there early. My friend had the tickets and he was there and I found a way to get in through a back you know, entrance. You know, So there's always ways. You know, it's not who you are, it's who they think you are. And if you act like you belong. We went to right. the 1986 World Series and when the Mets beat the Mets, Boston. Right. We would sneak into the World Series by putting on uh, Harry M. Stevens vending uniforms. We put on uniforms you, that we looked like we were you know, how'd you get selling them? hot dogs. How'd you get them? We made them. Wow. Yeah. You went that far. Yeah, we it was at back then it was a t-shirt and a hat. Okay, so it wasn't yeah. too too bad. It wasn't too bad. But so you heard it here, folks, on Boss to Boss exclusive. We might be going somewhere after this. I don't name know where. It. Stay tuned. You name it, we can do it. Is there another Grammy coming up anytime soon? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is, and the reason the title of my book is called The Uninvited, right? Yes. Is, is I wasn't invited to any of these places. I've but in some way, I was never really invited into my own skin. I never felt good about who I was. Mm-hmm. And today... I get invited to most of these places and I don't really want to go. I don't even care to. I was invited to the Grammys in uh, last year, which mm-hmm. was the 60th anniversary of the Grammys. Really? So it's now 30 years later. Have you gone to any in between? None. Yeah, I've gone to a couple of shows, but not uh, not the Grammys. So 1918, I mean, uh-huh. 2018 was 30 years from 1988. That's- that was the last time. That was when I did the Grammys. You didn't want to do like a... They brought the Grammys back from L.A. to New York 
to commemorate the 60th anniversary. And instead of having it at Radio City, Radio City, they had it at the Garden, which mm-hmm. is owned by the same people. And now they do it at these big stadiums because they sell tickets and they make a lot more money because there's so many people want to go see it. I was actually invited to the Grammys. And you turned it down. And I didn't even go. No cameo appearances. I stayed home and watched it with my kids because I'd much rather today be home with my children watching the Grammys than being at it. Just it's not even that important anymore. Is it just it, it, so with age, you think it just naturally kind of happened? Yeah. I, I mean, I still love to see concerts and be in great uh, places, but it's not that important anymore. You know, my priorities in life have changed. Uh, what's important to me is uh, much different today than it was you know, 30 years ago. That's for sure. Do you think your decisions back then were based a lot of because you were under the influence because of the drugs, maybe because uh, you I, I was partying pretty hard. And I, I think uh, there's no question about it. Um, my choices in life were definitely motivated mm-hmm. by attitudes and thoughts that were not sober, not disciplined. And so back then, most of my, see, I believe that our choices define our life. Every choice we make is something that defines our life. There are certain choices that aren't that important. What color socks you put on, but you never know. I met one of my biggest clients by putting on a really great pair of socks. And I was on the train and I'm sitting next to a guy and he saw my socks and he said, great socks. And it struck up a conversation and then he gave me his card and I gave him my card. He became one of my biggest clients. So just like that. Is that a God moment? Is that just the fate or or was it the fact that I chose to wear those socks that day, Mm -hmm. which instigated that conversation? So every choice you make defines your life. And I really believe that. So what is it that leads to good choices? Yeah. And I believe that it's our thoughts and our attitudes that lead to our choices. Sober, disciplined attitudes and thoughts usually lead to wise choices. And usually wise choices usually lead to rewards in life. Unsober, undisciplined attitudes usually lead to poor choices. And most of the time, a lot of the time, poor choices lead to consequences. So the question is, what are sober, disciplined attitudes yes, yes, yes. and what are unsober, undisciplined attitudes, right? So I believe sober, disciplined attitudes are easy does it. First things first. Less is more. Mm-hmm. You never make anything better by making it worse. Pause. Quiet. Respond with intellect. Mm-hmm. Right? When those attitudes are prevailing in my system, those attitudes usually lead to better choices. So, for instance, when the world is coming at you and somebody cuts you off on the road. Happens every okay, second. <laughs> right? Or the person uh, on the line at the grocery is going very, very slow. We have choices to make, right? We can respond with intellect or react with emotion. When I'm emotional, I usually don't make good choices, right? The world reacts with emotion, I believe, most people. So if the world says F you to you, what do most people do? They say F you louder, right? And we never make anything better by making it worse. I I have this ability today to pause and be quiet, to step back. So when the world is not, so if somebody cuts me off at the, on, the, on the road, I just let them go. When somebody steals a client of mine at work, I don't react with emotion. I don't get in somebody's face and say, how dare you take my client? I pause and quiet. I just don't do anything. And I give it a day to what am I, what's the right approach here? And maybe the right approach is to go up to them and say, listen, when you did that, you hurt my feelings and I don't think it's right. Maybe we can talk about it. And I try to handle conflict, not with further conflict. I try to minimize the the conflict 
because you don't get anywhere with the vinegar. You get certainly a lot further with kindness and love. And so, and have you taken different approaches? Like, do you do more? It sounds like do you do like some more exercising, more yoga. Like, is there something that you incorporate into your life to kind of change that about you, about being more? You know, not as reactive, but more as taking the time to think through well, your answers. I had met this man when I uh, changed my life at 28 years old. Mm-hmm. And this man taught me about changing my thinking and my attitudes. And uh, I'm always working on it. It's, uh, it's a work in progress. Uh, do I fail miserably sometimes and react with emotion? Of course I do. I'm a human being. But uh, uh, it's really, it's it's wonderful to not have to feel like you have to react that when you respond with intellect uh, just it makes you feel so much better about yourself even though sometimes the outcomes are not to your liking Mm -hmm. Um, so does it come a lot with trust i think it comes with trust and i think it comes with uh, faith in a higher power as well that uh i i have this higher power today i know that everything's going to be okay so do you regret any of the past and everything None. you did? None. Okay. None. You think that kind of shaped you into who you are and what your mission became? Uh, yeah. I also discovered as I was, you know, writing right. my book that uh, um, the three worst times of my life mm-hmm. actually turned out to be the three best times of my life. And of course, when I was in the hell, I didn't know it. What do you describe as a... Can you share at least sure, absolutely. Yeah. one of the worst times? Uh, the first worst time of, of my life was I was out of control living in New York City. I wasn't working. And my parents showed up unannounced and read me the riot act at 28 years old and said either you. My mom said, I love you, but I don't like you. And my father said, I have more respect for the bum on the street corner who's wiping windows at red lights. This came out of nowhere. Trying huh? to make, yeah. And, um, but they had known that I wasn't really working and I wasn't applying myself and, mm-hmm. um, and basically said, either you come home with us and get some help and figure out what's wrong with your life and we'll support you or you continue on the destructive path you're on and we never want to know from you ever again. You're dead to us. And uh, I thought it was the worst day of my life. Yeah. And it turned out to be the best day of my life. I fixed some things. I discovered that uh, uh, alcohol and drugs probably weren't good for me. Mm-hmm. And I stopped drinking. Completely? And, completely. And I met a man named Dr. Arthur Knauert who was started to help change the way I thought and my thinking and my attitudes and taught me about sober discipline attitudes. And uh, I changed my life and I haven't drank or done drugs. It's now 29 years. Congratulations. Yeah. Wow. And so I... almost. I'm, is that, exactly. was it almost half, my, half my life. Was it almost cold turkey or? Um, I, I went to AA meetings, mm-hmm. I, and uh, which helped me a lot as well. And uh, I found the fellowship of recovery was very helpful. And uh, all of that kind of taught me a lot about life. Are taught you a part a, of it to this day? I am, yeah. Does that play play a role in keeping you? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I believe so. I know some people are against it. Some people have other spiritual ways. Yes. Ways of finding. I I find a lot of peace and serenity uh, helping others. Uh, I learned uh, along my journey that uh, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but Mm -hmm. thinking of yourself less. It's a, that's a, that's a, that's a brain twist right there. (laughs) Right. Thinking of yourself less, right? Mm -hmm. When you're thinking of yourself, that's when you're thinking of fear, resentment, anger, and all the things that we think about self. If you're helping somebody else or doing good for somebody else, it's very hard to be thinking about you. And if you're not thinking about you, you're not thinking about the anger, the resentment, and the fears. Do you, uh, what, were, what were the other two? Do you mind? The sharing? second most difficult time of my life was when the markets were crashing oh, okay. in, nine, in 2007, eight. Mm-hmm. Um, Bear Stearns went out of business, business. Uh, Lehman Brothers went out of business. I was working at Morgan Stanley at the time and I watched Morgan Stanley stock go from 60 to eight in literally a week. 
and my world, it felt like was mm-hmm. collapsing because not only was my income tied to the markets, but so was my savings and my net worth. So I got hit on both sides and, um, and I thought it was the worst days of my life. And I would get up in the middle of two in the morning and I was in fear. Panic attack. Too beautiful. Well, yeah, just fear, not, uh, but scared. Well, I had two little girls, uh, daughters and mortgages and stuff like that, that we all kind of get as biz- life gets good. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to also draw upon my experience then. And it was at two in the morning that it kind of came to me that I realized that 99% of all my negative projecting never comes true. All the the negative projecting that my mind can get involved in, most of it has never happened. Certainly some has happened, but most hasn't. And it made me realize that 99% again of my never never came true. Yesterday, I can't do anything about it. That's gone. Lehman's out of business. Bear Stearns, the stock, Morgan Stanley stock. I can't change that. And tomorrow, I don't even know if I'm alive tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to wake up from tomorrow morning from my sleep. Will the world get hit with a, a bomb from North Korea? Who knows? So why worry about yesterday? And why even concern myself with tomorrow? Today, today, I have a beautiful roof over my head, healthy children, a beautiful, healthy wife, a meal on the table. Mm-hmm. I have everything I need today. And it changed my thinking and it allowed me just to stay in the day. And today I'm able to just stay in the day. And that's an adage from actually AA teaches you, you know, one day at a time. Got it. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. This is not an easy thing for a lot of people to do. No. Because we have issues, notifications every two seconds on our phone and throw us off. No question. Like do you, for you, is that the main go-to or do you have like other techniques or practices that you incorporate into your life to stay? Stay in the day. 99% of all my negative projecting and I limit the noise. How, how so? Um, I don't have a, uh, a smartphone. I was going to ask. I have okay. a flip phone. Okay. Which most people laugh at me. Uh-huh. My children certainly laugh at me, but I laugh back actually inside. Because I don't like all the noise because there's so much noise out there. And if once you get addicted to getting the noise, it's hard to give it up. So I don't, I'm not really on. Did you have one? Never. Ever? Never. Wow. So my work, they can call me or text me. Yeah. And when I'm in my office, I go online, I check my emails. But when I'm away from work, I don't want emails. This is so, so important right now because... You know, like my age group, for example, the millennials, like this is what we know. This is what we are. Ra- I mean, well, we weren't fully raised on it. Like the younger generation now, this is like what they get handed at three years old. But this is all we know. And it's just like a constant anxiety, constant like now, 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 now. It's Sunday. You know, I was just with someone and they're checking their work email. Like they need to get the day started on Sunday night. They can't even wait till Monday I morning. I know. What do we do about this? Uh <laughs> It's difficult, but like any bad habit, yeah, you have to stop. Just learn to say no. Right? Coffee is another thing that millennials and a lot of people have to have a cup of coffee in the morning. Do you drink coffee? No, I do not. Never have. But I think most people are addicted to coffee. You think the caffeine has something to do with all that? No, I just think people are just addicted to, they need that caffeine in the morning to start their day. It's it's, just more of a mental thing. I think it's physical too. I think it's a physical, uh, uh, um, body dependence. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Try going a week without a cup of coffee. See how you feel. You're not going to, I can do it because I'm, I'm but I'll drink tea though. You say you can do it, but you don't. And there's a great uh, line I learned from Dr. K, uh, a plan to stop something in the future is a plan to continue today. So a lot of people say, yeah, I'll stop. You got me thinking here. Yeah. You got me, you got me. Go, go a week without coffee and tea and see how you feel. It's, it's going to be hard. And I think it's connect. It's just immediate gratification. It's, it's all connects. You know, I did a Ted talk that, mm-hmm. yeah. That's titled how you live matters and everything connects in our life, everything. And, uh, 
You can't be a great father if you're stealing from work. Right? You can't be uh, mentally healthy mm-hmm. and spi- spiritually healthy if you weigh, if you're 50 pounds overweight. It all connects everything we do. So it's like an instant karma everywhere. Everywhere. And it comes back to haunt you one way or the other. Mm-hmm. People who are reactive in life don't make good choices. I don't care how successful you are. Eventually, one of your reactions could lead to something very bad happening, including giving the finger to somebody who cut you off on the road and takes out a gun and goodbye. That how you live matters and every choice you make, they all connect. So it's safe to say you got pretty lucky those first 28, 29 years, right? Is what you're saying? Because um, you made... I made a lot of poor choices, but I never crossed the line. So, and... and, and even, at, even at the Kremlin? Uh, the Kremlin might be the one... That, of all the things I did, that would be the one uh, choice I made that was probably the most foolish, without question. But would you, you still would have done it. Right? Um, as I look back now, obviously, I, you know... Um, I wouldn't do it again, Mm -hmm. uh, knowing what I know. But when I was, I was 21 years old at the time, I was in an age where at 21, and I think even for a lot of kids today, 20, 21, you think that you're invincible. Yeah. You you don't think it's going to happen to you. What could have happened to you there? Oh, I could, I could have been arrested. I, I was, I smoked pot in the Kremlin. And then the last night we were drinking before we left, I climbed a government building and went out on a flagpole and I stole a Russian flag and I still have the flag. This is like some Homeland stuff. Have you ever watched the this show? This is, yeah, like, oh, how about that young man in North Korea, right? Who was, they kept him, he mm-hmm. ripped down a poster. Yes. I, th- I think it was in North is Korea. Yeah. And then, I forget his name, but they, he, they killed him in jail and they sent his dead body. That could have been me for that question. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> And what does that flag hang right now? Uh, the flag is in a, a one of my. Uh, I have a book with all my pictures of all the things, all my greatest uh, events, with Live Aid and the uh-huh. Rangers, the Stanley Cup, and which ones your uh, which one do you cherish the most when you look at? I it? think the Grammys again. Okay, uh, you, have that, VIP, you have, you have was, that VIP ticket. I still somewhere? have the VIP pass. Yeah, uh, and again, you know. It's it, the the, uh, the irony of that evening. It was the greatest night, but yet the worst night of my life. And what was what was going to be the third night then? Oh, third. and the third uh, uh, was uh, the night I found out that I was getting divorced, and uh, it was very difficult. Was that did it have anything to do with your past? No, okay. no, it was. Um, we had a wonderful 20 years yeah. plus together and it sometimes people grow apart. Uh, it was very difficult, very difficult. And uh, one of the most beautiful things I've ever accomplished is getting through. A very wise woman said to me, Craig, you have to ask yourself a very simple question. You know, getting divorced is very difficult, but there's one simple question you have to ask. If you're going to do it the right way, ask yourself what is in the best interest of your children? And if that inspires and motivates every choice you make, then you'll you'll be fine. And I let that. I tried to stay in the love, and and I wasn't the one who wanted the divorce. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very painful, and um, I chose to live in the love and not engage and not get caught up in resentment. And I just did it the right way. And today, last night, my ex-wife and I, my daughters just got home from college, and we had dinner, the four of us together. We're divorced now six years. On uh, Thanksgiving, I went to my ex-wife's country club to have a Thanksgiving dinner with her family and my daughter. So you kind of look past it now, like it's more about... It's just about love. What's going on? Living in love. And is this something you're incorporating now, like towards your children? Do you feel like the way you are raised was maybe not ideal then? Do you think it led you like a little? You know, I look back upon how I was raised, and yeah. 
I, I, I look back and I just say my parents did the best job they could. And I don't judge. And my father came from a dysfunctional family and he did the best he can. And um, Could they have made better choices? Certainly. But I had great parents. My father was a lawyer, went to work every day, worked hard, gave me a life beyond my wild, wildest dreams. I had a mother that was stay home. So my parents did the best they can. But, you know, I, I grew up in a family like a lot of others where if it looked good on the outside, how yeah. broken could it be on the inside? Mm-hmm. And back then, nobody went to therapy. Nobody asked yeah. questions. And so I... taboo, right? That yeah. Way. Yeah. I remember a family friends went to a family therapist. They had three kids. We knew the family, the Goldbergs. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom saying the Goldbergs went to a family therapist. I remember thinking, oh, my God, they must be so sick. <laughs> and that's the truth. That's how it was, huh? That's how it was. Now it's like, and oh, so my therapist is my coach. That's you know? correct. Like it's- we all need a, a, a third person, a neutral party, mm-hmm. giver of, of, of just information that's not biased. Because when you go to a father or mother, they're biased. When you go to a a co-worker, they're biased. You go to a son, a friend, everybody has their own bias. So therapy today is very healthy to get a neutral third party giving you feedback on the choices you make in life. And if there's if there's something you could, you know, share with the listeners, like what you got out of all this, if there's one way, you know, when they're attempting to find themselves right now, because, you know, it's like... I was talking with our mutual friend, Jeffrey Michelle, you know, suicide, suicide rates are, are up, especially in the younger generation. And, you know, we're all kind of trying to find ourselves and fit in. Do you have any like final, like mean advice you would kind of pass along? I would say that it's okay to be broken. It's okay to not feel good about yourself. I think that we all suffer from low self-esteem in our own ways. And I think that when we don't feel good about ourselves, Mm -hmm. it motivates how we act. And I have learned that it's okay to be angry, to have resentments, to feel hurt, to, to be fearful. I'm fearful a lot. And Sometimes I have nothing to be fearful of, but sometimes I have to change my thinking. I have this voice in my head mm-hmm. that I, I very I don't hear many people who tell me they wake up and everything is perfect and going to be amazing. I'm still waiting for that day. I've never heard of anybody yeah. wake up and say, eight years from now, I'm going to win the lottery and I'm going to be living on this uh, beautiful island. The happiest. I've never heard that. Human beings wake up and it's fear and it's, we're all scared. And I have learned that low self-esteem, which we all share, if not looked into, leads to unesteemable acts. If you don't think you're worthy of goodness, then you're not going to do good deeds. And the day my life changed forever, this man asked me a simple question and he asked me, do you like yourself? And I said, yes. And he said, tell me why. And I said, well, I have uh, great parents, a nice apartment in the city and um, a hot girlfriend. (laughs) And he said, Craig, that's not a reason to like yourself. And I said, no. And he said, no. And he said, do you see that stranger across the street? And he pointed to a stranger and he said, what if I told you that stranger was you? What if I told you that stranger across the street, you underachieved through college and law school. You didn't really try your hardest when you were in sports. You didn't really try your hardest. You did minimal effort to get maximum results, which a lot of us do today. Mm -hmm. What if I told you that stranger across the street when he had a girlfriend, he cheated on her. He had a, girlfriend on the side what if I told you that stranger across the street when he had a job he went in late left early didn't really work a full day and try his best 
what if I told you? And this guy was describing me because that was me. I went in late, left early. I had a girlfriend on the side. I never tried my hardest in college and school. I got through. I wanted to have a good time. I wanted to go party. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be with my friends. He said, what if I told you that guy across the street wasn't a, the best son, didn't call his parents regularly, didn't do good deeds, didn't help out people and tell nobody? Would you like that person? And I said, no. And he said, well, then how could you possibly like yourself? I just described you. And I started to cry hysterically because it was the first time in my life somebody had told me the truth about myself, that all these things Mm -hmm. I had done, the shortcuts and the manipulations and the lying, that I was hurting others, but I was hurting me more. And that's why I felt not good about myself. And I cried like a baby. And I remember it. In some way, I cried because it was sad. But in some way, I was happy that somebody finally told me the truth of why I felt the way I did about myself at 28 years old. And in my tears, I said to him, what do I do? And he said, Craig, in order to build Mm self-esteem, you have to do esteemable acts. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, every day you show up and you're a man of your word. You're a man of honor, integrity, and commitment. If you say you're going to be somewhere at 11, you don't get there at 11.15. If you have a job, you get there early. You stay late. You work hard. If you make a commitment to a girl, no one puts a gun to your head to make a commitment. But if you do make a commitment, you live by your commitment. Do charity. Help others. Give. Be a good son. Be a good brother. Be a good friend. And every day you live that way, you will lift your self-esteem and you will slowly like yourself more and more. And one day, if you're really, truly lucky, you will love yourself. And so I've been trying to live that way for 28, 29 years now. And, uh, and then the people ask me, well, do you love yourself? And the answer is, I'm not sure. I think I do sometimes, but it's hard to get on myself. It's hard. And it gets back to that last point you were making. You know, I think there's just so much pressures in the world. You know, Facebook is, is, is a lot of pressure for kids, Instagram and these websites. I I watch children. They can't have a good time unless they post something online and everybody else likes it. So now they know Mm -hmm. I should be having a good time because the sunset in Aruba is beautiful. But until they get 50, 100 likes, they don't know that what they're doing, they should like because they don't know who they they are. And the pressures of the world is just all around us and it's hard. And so today my life is much simpler and it's about doing esteemable acts. And that's why I mentioned, you know, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but Mm -hmm. thinking of yourself less, doing for others today is is the most beautiful thing I can do for me. That makes me feel better about myself. And it was the motivation why I wrote my book. That's very deep. And, you know, for everyone that wants to find out more and go more in depth with these stories and hear even more, um, kind of where you're coming from, be sure to check out the uninvited, yeah, how I crashed I, my way into I, finding myself. They, my number is there and they can call me anytime. I, I, I love helping people. I love getting emails. And I appreciate that about you. You're, you're a very open uh, person and, you know, you make yourself out there. You, you put yourself out there. You know, you offered something to me before I even was able to do this interview with you. And, you know, that's that that was just beyond me. Like that's I, I can tell right there. There's something oh, there's something here. And I really appreciate that. So everybody, you know, be sure to check. Check out Craig Schmel and uh, his website, IamTheUninvited.com, to get more info as well. And um, now we're kind of on to our last and final segments and our listeners' final uh, favorite segment of the show. Welcome to the round with no name because they're all taken. So the rules are simple here. You're going to get five seconds to initiate an answer. We're just kind of going to throw a bunch of little questions at you. Just want to get to know a little bit more about the real Craig Schmel and... We just don't want you overthinking it. Okay. <clears throat> what is your favorite book? Can't be your own. Catcher in the Rye. 
Oh, classic. Favorite movie? Pretty Woman. Another classic. Person you are most nervous to meet? Nobody. I don't get nervous around people that put their pants on just like me. If you're stranded at an island, what is the one item you want with you? Can't be a person. Uh, one item, probably water. But <laughs> a lifetime supply of water, right? We don't know. We don't know how long it's going to be. But this will get you prepared in case this happens, you know, tomorrow, and you get to pick one item. Hopefully, you give that one even more thought. <laughs> Um, if it was a recording, it would probably be a Pink Floyd, The Wall. I love that. Very good answer. Uh, who has been or currently is your greatest mentor? Uh, Dr. Arthur Knauert and uh, my father. My father is a wise, kind, loving man. And uh, just he's just shows up every day and tries to do esteemable acts and makes a lot of wise choices. And... The doctor, yeah, he's still... He passed away. Passed away. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, about uh, 14 years ago. And I would see him every Tuesday at 7 o'clock for 12 years. And was he... What, did he turn into, like, your coach, too, as well? He was uh, coach? a psychiatrist. Uh, he was my mentor. He was my spiritual advisor. He was uh, he was wonderful. And if you had $100,000 right now and you could start up any business you wanted, but it can't be what you currently do... What would it be? And nothing like not for profit related. Hundred thousand dollars. Oh, it's hundred million dollars. A hundred million dollars. What business would I start? It's, it's up it would be a, a service industry. Um, I don't know. Um, I've been looking at maybe in uh, new businesses to start up. Uh, as you know, I was in the gym business for yeah. years. Um, I, I love that business, but it became saturated. Um, I don't know. Maybe a flip phone uh, to get people away from, and the, a new flip phone is coming out now that to get people away. Yeah, from, they're trying. It's kind of like a making I'll, a comeback. I'm not gonna lie though. When you when I when I asked you the, the question about the island, I thought you were gonna say my flip phone. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> That's good. Hey, there could be something there. I mean, think about it. The fanny packs are coming back. Everything All the goes clothes are coming back. Maybe flip phones come I back. I think more, people have gotten addicted to it, but I think more and more people are realizing it that the the bad is outweighing the good in maybe, some ways. Maybe we all need to invest mm -hmm. in, in uh, BlackBerry again. Yeah. Who knows? Um, what is the one item that you consume every day? Maybe it's something you eat or drink or just like wear it on you, but you can't go a day without it. And it, it makes you you. I like my dessert. <laughs> what kind? Uh, chocolate. Every day you have a little bit? I Mostly every day, yeah. Like a specific kind? I eat kind. healthy during the day, yeah. but I like a little dessert is after there, dinner. Is there like a specific kind? Chocolate cake with whipped cream. Chocolate cake with whipped cream. Well, I mean, you look pretty good for having some of that every single day. <laughs> I go so, to the gym. Got to keep going uh, to the gym. Uh, awesome. And are you looking to have more children? Uh, probably not, but uh, you never know. Never know. I'm not adverse to it. Well, you survived. I survived. We made it through the round. Uh, my producer did not have to uh, come out of anywhere and give us a hard time, so we're good. Craig, Craig Schmel, I want to really thank you for taking the time today and you know sharing more about your story, going thank in you. depth with a few pieces. But for everybody that wants to get even more in depth, be sure to check out his book, The Uninvited. Um, available pretty much everywhere, right? Yeah. Amazon. Sure. You can get it on Audible as an audio book, yeah. which is my personal favorite. I think it would have been very interesting if you read that book too. They asked sure. me to do it, and uh, they got somebody who's really good at reading he is, books. He is really good. But I, I felt it would be better if they... They did it, but he's good. It's uh, if you ever look into do another one, I would consider it just because uh, I was hoping it was going to be your voice. Well, I'm thinking of writing another book now, which mm -hmm. is from the point of when I started to write the book, how I started to write the book, and it's going to be a book about writing a book. That's good. And now the book's being made into a movie, so it'll encompass how, yes. the, how it started and then where it 
took off to and how it ends maybe with uh, being at the Academy Awards. And should know? we be on the lookout for that movie anytime soon? Uh, probably in about a year. Okay. Yeah. There's Would it be like a nationwide release? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Okay. Awesome. We'll be on the lookout for that. Would it be called The Uninvited or uh, maybe something? We don't know yet. That's yeah. something there. All Let's right. Say. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on, and I look forward to uh, connecting further again throughout the journey and Thank you just seeing where things, where things go. Really nice meeting you. That is all for this episode of Bossed to Boss. Your next step is to visit bossedtoboss.com, where you will find proven techniques followed by professionals to help you make that next step. Again, that is Bossed, the number two boss.com. And remember... The time is now.